Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and founder here at Modern Pain Care and coming at you with another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with our good buddy and co-host, Jared Hall. Um, this week, again, following up with another uh, kind of reflection of an article, uh, Jared recently wrote a research summary for our friends at the Physio Network um, on an article that we thought was worth having a discussion here on the podcast in regards to, because it's, it's, you know, an issue we frequently spoke about uh, as far as, you know, some of the labeling on low back pain and um, some people's perceptions on the labels they're given and some of the, um, you know, CBIC, I guess would be the word, uh, you know, effects of some of the things we speak about. And of course, this article tickles our biases and hence we don't talk about anything that doesn't support our biases. We are completely biased humans. No, we try to introduce other, um, you know, viewpoints and, and, and make sure that we're not getting too uh, siloed and confirmation bias laden in our work. But um, we are humans, so, you know, take that as you will. But as before I get too deep into my musings here, uh, Jared, how are you doing, man? Doing well today, Mark. Uh, <clears throat> looking forward to talking about this article. It, like you said, it kind of kind of fit the biases a little bit, but it's also something, you know, that we actually can put some fair data on now. You know, this this concept that the way that we explain diagnoses to patients or the way that we explain what it is that, you know, is quote unquote wrong with them might, might actually have some implications for, uh, you know, their outcomes and their future healthcare utilization and that sort of thing. So I think this is a good one. And I really, really hope that this one gets spread around and talked about a, a, a little bit. Yeah. So just to give you guys a little bit of background, the article's title is The Effect of Diagnostic Labeling on Management Intentions for Nonspecific Low Back Pain, a Randomized Scenario-Based Experiment. Some real impressive researchers on this one. Uh, Mary O'Keefe, the lead author, Giovanni Ferreira, Ian Harris, Ben Darlow, Rochelle Bushbinder, Adrian Traeger. Um, there's Joshua Zadro, Rob Herbert, Ray Thomas, our friend Joletta Belton, which is amazing and awesome to have a patient advocate on some of these studies. And then Chris Mayer is obviously a, a very well-respected low back pain researcher over in Australia. Um, so obviously a, a, quite a powerful uh, research team on in this article. And uh, uh, I'm going to pass it to you, Jared, to kind of, if you can give it a little, you've just summarized this beautifully for our friends at the Physio Network, but I'd love you to, to kind of get, lay the groundwork for the folks here uh, on the podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I don't want to go into all sorts of crazy detail about the methods and, and that sort of thing, but um, essentially uh, what they did was they, they took a whole bunch of people that were either they're broken into three groups, which this is what I think is interesting. People who have had back pain and have had treatment for back pain, either via, you know, chiropractic, osteopathic, physical therapy, um, orthopedic surgery management, whatever it is. Right. So people that have, that have had back pain and they have had treatment, people that have had back pain and have not sought formalized care. And then people that have no history of back pain. Uh, so interestingly enough that they, they, they kind of sampled over 10,000 people at, excuse me, 
even after 10,000 people, they were struggling to fill the group of people that have, have no history of low back pain. So first and foremost, right off the bat, that tells you back pain is really, really common. Back pain is really, really normal, right? And then you take it a step further and you see something interesting that some people seek care for back pain and some people don't seek care for back pain. Um, and I'm somebody that, you know, I have my history with back pain. Uh, I've had on and off bouts of back pain throughout my life. And I've never sought any formalized care. I'm not one of those guys that got into physical therapy because I had these issues and I went and got them treat, treated. Uh, I, I kind of grew up in a, in a, you know, mini culture of unless your bone is coming through the skin, like you don't go to the doctor, period. It just that's just how it is. Like my family didn't believe in, you know, going to get medical care <laughs> pretty much. So that's been that's just been my experience. So I, I would fall into that group of doesn't seek care for for low back pain. But then there are a lot of other people who culturally, for one reason or another, whether it's just their natural personality type, whether it's cultural influences, whether it's access to care, they have sought care for low back pain. So then you have these three groups of people and they divided them into six different arms. Okay. So they blinded the participants to, you know, what they were really doing and, and why they were doing it, but they gave them different diagnosis, diagnostic explanations for back pain. Okay. So they had three, what they considered a little bit, maybe less aggressive explanations for back pain, back pain, and three, maybe more biomechanical, uh, what we would think of as traditional explanations for back pain, or maybe not traditional, but maybe, you know, more commonly used in, in, uh, the biomechanical model uh, of healthcare. So they told people, um, this low back pain was caused by a lumbar strain. This low back pain was caused is just it's just a normal episode of low back pain or, oh, you've got a bout of nonspecific low back pain. There's nothing really we can attribute it to. It, it's just it, it's it kind of happens. And then on the flip side of things, they also explained to people that they had osteoarthritis of the lumbar spine. They had degeneration of the lumbar spine and that they, or they had disc bulging causing their low back pain. So they took these original three groups of people, history of low back pain with treatment, history of low back pain without treatment, and then no history of low back pain. And they split those and they gave half of them the bio, biomedical, biomechanical explanation of osteoarthritis, disc bulge, or de degeneration. And they gave the other half of them you strained your low back, you're having a normal episode of low back pain, or you've got some nonspecific low back pain. And what they did then was they rated the participants likelihood or their desire of seeking imaging for low back pain. And in a secondary analysis, their likelihood of seeking surgical intervention for low back pain, right? So in a nutshell, what they saw consistently across all of the groups was that the less biomedical biomechanical explanation had a statistically significant 
And pretty, pretty large, actually, when you look at the rating scale, uh, they used a, a zero to 11, essentially, like we'll just say visual analog scale, their likelihood, uh, you know, on zero to 10 of wanting to seek imaging and or surgery. And, and you saw a pretty significant difference between people with the biomedical biomechanical explanation versus the, we'll call it non-threatening ex- uh, explanation across all three of those groups that I mentioned the non-threatening explanation had a much lower likelihood of seeking imaging and seeking surgery. And the more biomechanical explanation had a much higher likelihood of wanting imaging, wanting more imaging, wanting more treatment, wanting more care, wanting more intervention. Even though at baseline, these groups should be pretty darn similar based on the randomization process. So, uh, let's just stop there. And I, I want to see your thoughts on that, Mark. Well, you know, as I alluded to before we, you got into the, the nice synopsis there, the article, you know, it's definitely something that I think, um, you know, is in line with what, with what I see clinically as far as, and probably a lot of you listening in clinically, as far as when patients have these biomedical beliefs of like degeneration of their spine. And I always just, you know, step back as a person who's not a healthcare knowledgeable person and, and, and throw something at them that says they have degenerative joint disease of their back or degenerative disease of their, I mean, a disease, like, again, just think of the, the connotations of that word disease. Like if I had somebody told me I had a disease of my GI or something that I'm not knowledgeable, about, I'd be a little bit concerned about well, what the hell's going on there. Where again, we know these things are very normal occurrences. Of course, it can become more than just normal and genetics and and you know unique individuals. I'm I'm 100 on board with that, but I I just think it, it furtherly supports the notion that we have to be careful with the words we choose with patients in clinic. And it's it sounds like patients are okay if we don't have to put this one perfect label of like it's the left facet rubbing on the you know of the L5 S1 degenerating. That, that sometimes being just keeping it simple and keeping it non-threatening. And, you know, they talk about at the end, changing how we label low back pain may help reduce unnecessary medical tests and treatments and increase the acceptability of watchful waiting, self-care, and less intensive treatment options that are recommended in guidelines for the management of non-specific low back pain. So I think it all comes down to what's their frontline messages. And I, and it's unfortunately primary care. I shouldn't say unfortunately, but it's where I think folks aren't necessarily as positioned as well from just my interactions at the International Association for the Study of Pain, I still remember in Boston years back where they said our primary care workforce is grossly underprepared and under, you know, prepared, I should say, just grossly underprepared to treat and deal with pain because they still have very biomedically laden beliefs and they often start people on these pathways of these belief systems like I'm a broken, damaged human of degenerating, you know, disease, bulging and things that... um Again, a lot of what our work becomes in those episodes is we have to, I don't want to say, kind of de-educate a little bit or educate and de-threaten, I think we, is more of what I would say. And I'm really putting it out there for patients to say, hey, what is your, you know, you've been told you have degenerative disease, degenerative joint disease. What does that mean to you? What are your under, what's your understanding of that? And you open up some discussions to see where their mindset is on these things. Because I agree, like, it definitely seems, seems to ring true with what I see clinically is folks that don't have these, like, bulge, degeneration um, beliefs and arthritis beliefs tend to not have this path of like, I'm, I'm in deep trouble here. I really need to, to be careful and I need further imaging before I can hang out with you as a physical therapist. Cause I'm not safe to do so until that happens. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, it, it's a great article. And again, I'm excited that we had Gillette and uh, a friend on there that really, um, is a good movement for, for research in general to have that voice involved, because obviously that's the people that are serving the data to us with our, their, you know, generous, you know, ability to be in these studies and things like that. So yeah, no, I'm, uh, I think this is a study that our primary care physicians, I would love to see them get into their hands and just make some considerations of how they're diagnosing things. I know there's some, oh, medical legal stuff and, you know, our litigious societies, like if we don't image, are we, you know, defensive medicine, all that stuff that goes on um, to, to kind of CYA um, from the frontline approach. And I, I get that, but I think that's kind of an easy cop out to we can do better. So what are your thoughts, man? Oh man, you know, it, it, like we've already said, it, it, it does suit my biases, but it's, it's good to see a little bit more randomized data that actually supports this, you know, a little bit more ob- objective style data than just, um, the, the qualitative stuff in Ben Darlow has put out some, some incredible qualitative stuff, you know, on, on what do patients tell us that, that, that have been in pain and have been through the medical system and, and all that sort of stuff. What are their, what are their beliefs? And, what has uh, the language that people have used with them um, caused in the, in their life? You know, the, the enduring impact of what clinicians say to their patients and uh, easy to harm, hard to heal. You know, those are a couple of landmark articles from Darlow. So I was happy to see his name on this and associated with a more uh, randomized and objective approach to securing some of that even qualitative data within this. It's just the qualitative data was presented to the patient and we assessed how they responded to it rather than uh, pulling qualitative data out of them, I guess you could say. But there were two things that that haven't talked about yet that I found kind of interesting. Number one, the group that actually had the lowest likelihood of wanting imaging or seeking extra care was the group that had the label nonspecific low back pain used with them. Like, oh, well, you just, you're having a bout of nonspecific low back pain. Uh, There's nothing, there's nothing specific causing this. It's just, it's just a little bit of a flare up, you know, type of explanation. That term comes under a lot of fire because it is often perceived to minimize um, what a, what a person might think is going on with their back or to be, uh, you know, a cop out to say that, well, you're just not smart enough to figure out what's going on. Right. Uh, well, I think it's that we're smart enough to recognize that, no, we don't actually know exactly what is causing this, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily matter because it's going to get better if we go down this pathway, right. The, this, uh, this, give it some time, give it a little bit of you know, active and passive management that doesn't have to be super invasive. It doesn't have to be pharmaceutical, so on and so forth. Um, I thought that it was interesting that the nonspecific low back pain explanation had the lowest likelihood of seeking imaging or further care, which actually went against my biases. I thought for sure it would have been lumbar, lumbar sprain 
right? You have a low back sprain because that's what I like to use in clinic because I like to not minimize it. I like to say, oh yeah, you've got some little ligaments in your back. And I think you sprained one of these, uh, just like you would sprain your ankle. This is going to heal up. We've just got to, you know, work through it. And we've got to give a little bit of time. We've got to do a little bit of stretching, a little bit of strengthening, whatever. That's what I like to use. So this actually, this actually kind of caught me off guard. Um, so maybe I need to reevaluate my utilization of nonspecific low back pain uh, language in, in, in clinic, especially if we saw a follow-up and that was selected again as the, uh, least likely to trigger further care. Uh, and then the second thing that I thought was interesting was the people that were most likely to choose to want more imaging or to select that they would seek surgery were actually the people who got the biomechanical explanations who were actively in pain right now, which common sense, you know, that, that, that makes sense. Like I'm actively in pain right now. Give me treatment, give me imaging. Like I, I need, this is terrible. I need surgery, but actually that's who we're dealing with, right? That's who we're dealing with in clinic. So the person that is the most likely to seek further care and more invasive care and more imaging is the person that's in our clinic all of the time. And we need to recognize that, that, that we have a selection bias of people who are in our clinic because they're actively in pain and they're of the mindset that they already want to seek care for pain. They are more likely to be open to seeking more aggressive lines of care if we, are un, if we aren't careful with our language and explanations. Yeah, no, those are good points. Um, I like in this study how they kind of took qualitative data as far as their, you know, their thoughts on, you know, surgery and, and further care and engaging in work activities and kind of brought it to that objective Likert scale way of doing it. So it kind of allowed them to still run some of the statistical analyses and quantitative stuff that we do, but it was based on more beliefs because again, beliefs and, and behaviors are, are, you know, very important variables in the equation of patient care. So it's been, it was nice to see that, but I, I agree. I think we are working with a lot of those patients. That is our selection bias that, so we have to recognize that we probably have patients that are ever having that tendency to want to go down that road because they're actively in pain and, and uh, yeah, the, 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 the urge to seek something to just get rid of this damn pain so I can get back to my life. Um, and the cultural narratives of biomedicalism and things, you know, still, you know, pervade and still can be highly influential and, uh, you know, just puts the onus on us to, you know, again, not minimize it in front of them as far as, you know, where they, but sometimes not assuming that we're minimizing it when nonspecific back pain is used. Cause I think you've mentioned, and I would probably agree with you that, you know, I tend to strain is kind of my thing. I strain, you know, some areas of your back and, and I always thought, well, nonspecific, that's going to make them think that I don't know what the hell's going on. And, but I think again, the way you choose language and the way you word it and things is, and, and, paint the positives of what we know about low back pain and, and still be, you know, in the mindset of that watchful waiting that they speak about at the end of the article that, you know, we're going to obviously keep our eye. We're continuously assessing the patient every session. And obviously if red flag things emerge or different things emerge that make this more of a specific episode of low back pain, um, then we're ready to react. And, and but we've kind of done our due diligence. Obviously we're doing good examinations to, to on that stuff on the front end. Um, and ideally, you know, really making sure the patient's mindset is a huge part of your reasoning process of both your, how you interview a patient and how you structure your, your words and language and communication with the patient and how your care kind of traverses things going forward. So you, you know, kind of that that's a big part of the equation that I need to be 
um, keeping in mind, which I, I love that there's articles like this that are giving that data validity and giving that data equal footing as like, you know, biomechanical factors and by, you know, these different joint angles and force vectors and things like that, which again, I'm not saying aren't important, but I think we've, you know, beat those to death. It's nice to see that we're, we're bringing human thoughts and beliefs and emotions and things into the equation as we start thinking about what's best to do with these folks who are dealing with low back pain. But so we'll definitely see if we can link the Jared's uh, research review to physio network. If you guys aren't checking out physio network, you should be, cause it's a great resource for, you know, smart people like Jared and others, uh, he, they've got a pretty all-star lineup of folks that go in there and do research reviews and other things where you can check out, um, you know, some of the current research and what's going on and, and how, you know, folks uh, that are <clears throat> skillfully, you know, dis, you know, dissecting these studies kind of perceive them and uh, get some good discussions going. So definitely check them out. We'll link that stuff in the show notes. You guys can, can peek at that. But um, anything else you wanted to discuss with folks today, Jared? No, I mean, I think I think the ultimate take home is if you haven't already been considering the way that you explain things to people, you should probably pretty rapidly start considering the way that you explain things to people, Mm -hmm. because uh, it's clear that it actually does influence what they think about their body and their outcomes to a certain degree with, you know, what care they choose to follow up with, because, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to fall prey to the slippery slope fallacy, right? Where you, it's just going to cascade into the worst outcome possible. But there are certainly cases where somebody goes and gets imaging and then the imaging, the, the radiologist report says, oh, you've got all this degeneration, you got all these problems and they freak out about it. And then they get to, you know, refer to the spine surgeon and the spine surgeon, you know, has a, has a bias towards spine surgery. And then that person ends up in spine surgery. And of course, maybe they don't have an awesome outcome with that because there are, there are just things that can happen uh, with any sort of surgical intervention that that are less than ideal outcomes. And, you know, then all of a sudden their ICD 10 code of failed back surgery syndrome, 10 years down the line. And, uh, you know, I know that that's a slippery slope, um, and that's not going to happen to every single person that goes and gets an image of their low back. But, um, if we can prevent one of those just here and there, that's, that's a huge impact to that person's life. It's a huge impact to the healthcare system and, and various other things. So, uh, it does, a lot of this does start with the, the information that some of us frontline providers for musculoskeletal care do give to people in the discussions we have with them. Yeah. hundred percent agree. I think uh, choose your words wisely and don't uh, underestimate their impact of the, the subsequent journey that patients will make in, in regards to the words you use and choose. Um, yeah. Especially when folks are first consulting with low back pain or are in the midst of a, of an episode, it can be a very distressing time. Jared and I can, uh, relate to that. I mean, Jared has his cultural, I'm, I'm similar in my vein of like, I'm not, I know what I can do for this. I don't need anybody's help for this. Um, I've occasionally sought some, some care, but again, um, a lot of patients don't have a physical therapist or a clinical background to, to, you know, ascribe some safety to their situation that, Hey, this is, this sucks, but I'm going to get better. So I think choosing these diagnostics, diagnostic labels wisely and, and how we, are more thoughtful and, and the words we consider, I think is huge. And that kind of resonates across patient care, but it was nice to see this article reinforce that that's, you know, something we definitely need to be more deliberately considering when we're, when we're having interactions with people in pain. So 
Hope you all have enjoyed this episode. Um, we'd love again to hear your comments on some of the posts that go out on social media. We'll post this on Instagram and Facebook on our, our Modern Pain Care page. We'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on that or anything you want to share in your experience. Always uh, great for us to kind of see what you guys are experiencing on the front lines um, as you deal with these exact uh, issues in your practice. So until our next episode, we will talk to you guys later. Hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you then. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.